Spread the fire, welcome back to SMWX. And in this two-part series, I interview political analyst Ukoko Aubrey Machiki. In part one and part two, we analyze all that's going on in South African politics right now. Believe me, this is one of the littest conversations that has ever happened on SMWX. Like, share, comment down below, leave your thoughts on social media, Twitter, tag me, hashtag SMWX. And also do comment down below. Aye, aye. let's get started. So I think that's a fascinating analysis of not only the the, the moves President Zuma is making, but also the the, the famous T between. EFF leader Julius Malema and President Zuma and others. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to I'm just going to react to that. And of course, you can react to, to what I say as you prefer. But it makes me think of two things, which were a number of the questions that also got sent on social media. The first to do with the T, but the second to do with President Cyril Ramaphosa's position after the tea. So it seems to me that my first instinct when I, I heard about this tea was, okay, they're going to ask him to comply with the constitution. But firstly, this was a very long meeting. This, this meeting seems to have lasted from late morning to quite late afternoon if not early evening i think people also have lost the importance of the fact that there was a ritual dimension to the meeting that president zuma actually uh, slaughtered wakali gusha for uh, the visitors which is which is an important thing um, that many in our media unfortunately don't even appreciate, but has symbolic overtones which haven't even begun to be um, unpacked. And so it seems to me unlikely, even though I think there was a legal reason for the visit, that there was no political reason for the visit. What that political reason is, as you say, unfortunately we don't know because as usual it's shrouded in, in secrecy. But I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in your, in your notion that this could, this could be more than, than just a short-term uh, alliance of convenience and could involve longer-term uh, ambitions. We're, we're, it remains to be seen, but I'm interested. Um, and and I, 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 I'm not able to easily dismiss what you say. Um, as I am other analysts who have who have uh, looked into their crystal ball on this one. Um, what it does for President? Yeah. Okay. So, well, let's 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 stay there. We'll come on to President Ramaphosa afterwards. Okay. You you raise a a, a very important point, and mm -hmm. and and before I proceed, let me just say in passing. If we, we 
have time. I, I want to talk about something that was inspired by Vaclav uh, Havel, mm. the, the, the Czechoslovakian uh, playwright who became president post uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union. Mm. Um, he once wrote and spoke about how at times we fail to unleash both the creative and spiritual potential of the people. And then he spoke about the art of the impossible being the most revolutionary art of all. But it is this creative potential and the spiritual potential of the people which excites my mind. But this I'm saying in passing and, and maybe we'll, we'll still have time to come back to it. It's not unimportant. Maybe it is important, but for now, let's, let me say it's not unimportant that the former president slaughtered an animal for his visitors. It is also not lost to me that not every visitor um, was treated in that way. Abanya just got uh, bananas and, and apples, Coco. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, and, and the reason why they get bananas and so on is because I, I think the former president is running out of uh, tea bags. <laughs> but seriously, and, and I think my chicken is agreeing before uh, I even say what I want to say. Let's look at the animal that was slaughtered. Mm. It is not a goat, it's a sheep. <laughs> it's a sheep. Now, when you slaughter for me as a healer or as a sangam or whatever people want to call you, preferably you should slaughter a goat. In fact, I can share with you that despite the fact that I grew up in a crosser family, I don't like lamb. I've never liked it. In fact, uh, it caused me a lot of grief when I was growing up because I couldn't explain to my parents that I don't like lamb. Mm. And it turns out I don't like lamb because of my calling. Because I'm, I'm one of those who should not eat lamb. Because in spiritual terms, the goat is meek. I'm sorry, the, the, the sheep is meek. And therefore, eating its flesh will have that impact spiritually. So if I don't want to be meek spiritually, it is better that I partake in the eating of goat flesh. I think you can see where I'm going with this. That if I were Jacob Zuma, 
And one of the things I want to unleash is my own dominant position spiritually over those who have come to visit me. I would want to render them meek and goat meat would not be appropriate under those circumstances. And maybe what I'm saying are just the fulminations of a fertile mind, maybe not. But I am struck by the choice of animal, mm. a sheep instead of a goat. I am struck more by the spiritual significance of the ritual. Uh, there was a need for cleansing between Jacob Zuma and Julius Malima, given how things ended between them in the ANC. In fact, if Jacob's, uh, Julius Malima had known in advance that such a ritual would be performed, I would have advised him to take with him an animal to be slaughtered there too, so that there is mutual cleansing and the descendants of peace upon the two men as they cleanse themselves of the hostility that existed between them when they were in the ANC. So this ritual is significant in, in that way. Mm -hmm. Only if it is a ritual performed in good faith, by the way. Mm -hmm. Because if it is not a ritual that was performed in good faith, what I said first about rendering your visitors meek mm -hmm. then arises. But something else arises, something that we don't talk enough when, about when you talk about South African politics. Mm. It is the importance of spirituality in our politics. It's mm. the importance of spirituality in the ANC. Mm. Mm. But you and I, because of the limitations of our minds, limit ourselves to analyses of factional dynamics in the ANC as if the factionalism is the disease, whereas the factionalism is a symptom of a deeper malaise. And for me, it's a deeper spiritual malaise. So to the extent that spirituality or the spiritual is important in the ANC, we must bear inside, I mean, in mind that the spiritual consists amongst other things of the dark and the light. And in my view, too many who are leaders in the ANC have flirted with the dark, the forces of darkness, and therefore have entered into a Faustian pact with those forces to gain ascendance in political and leadership battles mm. in the ANC. Yeah. Now, of course, this kind of analysis mm. we seldom do 
but I think in part it explains what is happening in the ANC because without it, we treat the symptom as the disease because the malaise maybe because it is in the spiritual realm is hidden to us. I don't want to expand beyond what I've said on the spiritual and the significance of a slaughtering for Malima and his delegation, because I may venture into very controversial areas. Well, I think that's, that's fascinating. It's deepened my understanding of Ukhela and the importance of different slaughterings for different purposes. But I just found it so fascinating that it also revealed the limitations of the South African media because everyone focused on the T, what, what I call uh, from pay back the money to pass me the honey, uh, to, <laughs> to the actual more significant meal that was shared and the whatever the, the spiritual implications, the motives behind invoking a very important process of um, slaughtering and sharing a particular meal at a particular time and what that means. Nobody seems to have even realized the, the importance of that. Um, can, can I move to, to, to President Ramaphosa? Because as you said, we, we may venture into territory that, that's now, that's too controversial for us to even have another conversation. So, well, um, before we do that, uh, mm. uh, Sizwe, mm. let, let me close this part of our discussion mm -hmm. this way. You, you are right, this meeting happened over a period of almost four hours, mm. I mean, eight hours. Mm. I, I think it's not unreasonable to surmise mm. that those who were in the room discussed the state of the nation and how they can alter it to their advantage. Mm. So broadly speaking, I suspect that is one of the things which happened at this high team. Mm. Mm. Well, it will be interesting to watch how things play out. I think it is notable that the EFF hasn't commented yet and that Julius Malema hasn't commented yet, which suggests that uh, because he usually does comment on various issues, which which suggests that that may well be the case. Uh, so as, as I was saying, on President Ramaphosa, I think this is also a really interesting moment for him because where he was mute before, it seems he's taken silence uh, to a whole new level now. Um, it seems like the where the opening years of his presidency were an exercise in euphoria, the last period has been a classic case of anticlimax. And part of that is he refuses to say anything about the very obvious political crisis that is staring the party in the face and the country in the face. Um, all he could say about the the tea was let's give President Zuma space. He delivered a state of the nation, didn't even touch on uh, President Zuma. 
he remains quiet and is cutting an increasingly powerful figure without authority. Um, you on this show uh, said that you thought he would be, and it seemed like the craziest statement at the time, I have to say, you thought he would be the weakest ANC, <laughs> the weakest ANC president that, that we've ever seen. Um, how do you analyze President Ramaphosa's position in the ANC at the moment? One of the things, Caesar, that weigh heavily on my spirit is the accusation that I hate the president. Mm, welcome to the club, by the way. Uh, before that, I was accused of being in the pockets of the Mbeki faction. And I was accused of being a Zuma sympathizer. I was even accused at some point of hating Nelson Mandela. So my track record on hating our heads of state is very good. <laughs> I'm accomplished in this respect. <laughs> I'm following, I'm following close behind, by the way. <laughs> well, it's only because of age. <laughs> um, it weighs heavily on me because I sometimes ask myself, do they have a point? And am I the best person subjectively to answer that question? Subjectively, I don't think they have a point. But I think it would be grossly insensitive of me not to recognize that some of my words can be hurtful People can be hurt by what I say. Whether they should be is another question altogether. But I do need to recognize that my words can be hurtful to people. Uh, especially when people have embedded their own identity, political and otherwise in certain political interests and political figures. And, and the, I say this not in an exercise in self-indulgence. What I'm trying to say is that I am even more critical of the president at the moment than I was at the time I made that crazy statement. But it is not because I hate him, no. I therefore think that to the extent that I characterized the new dawn as a false dawn, I was not wrong. And there's a growing number of people who see the new dawn as a false dawn or as something that was not a dawn at all. Um, the observer, in the UK characterized the Ramaphosa presidency as a slide from Ramaphoria to Ramageddon. Why Ramageddon? In my view, he is 
beholden to political and economic interests that reinforce his subjective weaknesses as a leader. Mm. Secondly, when former president Tabombek fired Jacob Zuma as the deputy president of the Republic in June 2005, what he did was to usher in what I call the Zuma moment. And the Zuma moment will be with us after he is gone and after the ANC is gone as a ruling party. Something I think will happen within the next three to four elections. The problem for Ramaphosa is that the Ramaphosa moment is a tenant in the Zuma moment. To some extent, Ramaphosa is held captive by the Zuma moment. So in addition to the fact that his own subjective weaknesses as a leader constrain him, he is constrained by this political reality that his presidency is a tenant in the Zuma moment. What constrains him even further is that he, in relation to the political and economic interests I alluded to, he is a ventriloquist doll. And as the doll of these ventriloquists, he is not a content provider. And that is why he has disappointed so badly. In my view, he was always going to disappoint because I have never believed he is presidential material. And I think the past three years have vindicated me to some extent. I had to chuckle when I watched in anticipation for this conversation, uh, some of your other conversations where you suggested that uh, President Ramaphosa, who of course was one of President Zuma's key allies leading up to and subsequent to the Mangawum conference, uh, must have been in a coma uh, between 2012 and 2017, when he was the deputy president of the ANC and then the country. And the question I have is, when you look at Brian Mulefe's testimony at the State Capture Commission, I, I, I think I would go even further, Gogo, and say that of all the people involved in state capture in the ANC, very few have the unique ability to say that they have actually been on both sides of state capture, both on the side of the captors and the captured. And when I look at President Ramaphosa, he seems to have played a role in the side of the forces that were both trying to capture the ANC and the side of the ANC that was captured at the same time. And it seems to me that 
not since Cecil Rhodes has one person been so involved in political power and economic power at the same time? Well, Kathleen, you may be right in ways maybe you have not imagined. Um, people accuse Cyril Ramaphosa as being spineless. And I'm one of those who have made this accusation. Hopefully I've never made it publicly because that would be very rude. <laughs> um, but in private conversations, I have made the accusation that one of his pro problems is that he is spineless. And as you speak, I'm struck by the fact that I am completely incorrect. And, and what you say sparks that in me, that I'm wrong. He's not spineless. He has multiple spines. Sure. And that is, for me, the main problem. Hmm. Now, if in September 2008, uh, those members of the ANC NEC spoke to me hmm. during that uh, long night, which led to the removal of uh, Tabumbeki as president of uh, the Republic. Mm. If they did not mislead me, we should be even more worried. Mm. Because what they said to me is that one of the most strident voices that night that called for the removal of Tabumbeki was that of Cyril Ramaphosa. And if they did not mislead me, we should be worried, very worried. Mm. Um, and the ANC should be very worried about the extent to which his own narrow interests supersede everything. But if they did not mislead me, and therefore we should be worried that his narrow interests supersede um, everything. Then we, we should be worried about something else. And it is the fact that maybe what we are dealing with here is a man who, as some allege, has betrayed his party and his people, but is failing to deliver to those on whose behalf the betrayal is happening, which I suppose is worse than what we have said so far. And I hope that is not the case. Well, Gogo, um, I want to end off with one question that there's so much more. It feels like every time we talk, we could go on for, for hours and hours. And um, 
there have been calls that we have these conversations more regularly, but um, we'll we'll take that offline. Um, but well, you know what they say about the bikini. I think we should stay. We should stay there. Remain a bikini. Um, this is not my attempt to venture into sexist uh, terrains. Um, but uh, I think the less frequent these meditations are, the better. I tend to agree. I think we we've hit a good rhythm and and are also able to to think, which uh, is probably the, the the rarest part of political analysis these days. Um, so for those watching, we think a lot. We we we, we meditate on these questions in advance um, before we address them. But I, I want to end by looking at at twenty twenty two again. Um, because we, we, are, we are within already, we are within another cycle which builds up to another moment um, of reckoning in some way, or shape or form. What that looks like again, we don't know. But I'm just, this, this, this Deputy President Mabuza, um, I'm just so fascinated by where he stands and, and I wonder if he's going to be a very important role player. When I, when I look at deputy presidents in the ANC, they, they either become president or they suffer a, a humiliating fate. Uh, we look at Khalima Mutlante in 2012. Um, we look at Cyril Ramaphosa who became ANC president. We look at Jacob Zuma. Um, it's hard to imagine that Mabuza, who's been very quiet uh, since becoming deputy president of the country, maybe even the ANC, um, won't play an important role. And it's also not clear where he stands because he was the key broker in this pact that we have now of this uh, split NEC and top six. Um, where do you see the role of Mabuza in the lead up to this this conference in 2022? Do you think he'll be an important uh, important player? I, I need to be very sensitive um, in how I respond. Mm because I have my own private worries about him. And the private worries are about whether he will be healthy enough mm. Mm. Uh, to, to play a decisive role in 2022. That's one. Mm. Two, remember his uh, nickname, the cat. Um, which means you don't always see him coming. In fact, if my sources in, in Nazareth in 2017 are anything to go by, mm. Jacob Zuma and those who supported the NGZ campaign did not see him coming. Mm. Or they did, but what they saw was an apparition and therefore the effect is the same. So with regard to the second aspect, the fact that you don't see him come, coming, 
we cannot preclude the possibility that he will be a key player, except in our analysis, we, we need to look at the difference in content between different periods. Mm. Mm. He could deliver a province in 2017. What does he have to deliver today? Mm. Can he deliver Mpumalanga today? Mm. In other words, he was the most powerful politi ANC politician in 2017 in Mpumalanga. Is that the case today? If it is, he might be a key player in 2022. If he isn't, the question is, what can he deliver? What he can deliver in the absence of the Mpumalanga province is the promise of patronage. But he's not the only one who can make that promise. Others will make similar promises. And therefore, when I look at 2022, and if we, we do the kind of surface analysis we tend to do when we look at ANC uh, succession battles and we reduce it to individuals, uh, I am not deleting him from my list of candidates. Um, but remember, as you get close to 2022, you will hear a crescendo of noise. In my view, justifiably so, that the ANC should elect its first female president. I still suspect though that it is not in 2022 that the ANC will elect its first female president. And so yes, you might see the re-emergence of a candidate such as Lindy Wessesuvo. But I don't think it is in 2022 that the woman will be elected ANC president. Because patriarchy in the ruling party runs very deep. I still believe that this is not a party. In fact, I can't think of any party in this country that is ready to be led by, by women, not by a woman, by women. And by that, I mean a party that is prepared to be led by a feminine logic in qualitative terms, as opposed to having a woman as leader, but having patriarchy in address being the dominant reality in that part. Don't rule out uh, Paul Mashatile. Mm. Mm. Absolutely, there, there, um, yeah. there was talk of, of, of a Mabuza Mashatile conversation earlier last year which which piqued my interest but mashatile again yes. crucial crucial mm. yes exactly don't, don't rule him out mm. um well don't rule out the current president either awesome. um he got a billion rand of prepaid airtime last time mm. uh he might get even more now if uh, uh those who prepaid a billion rand prior to nazareth still mm. see him as the only alternative despite his weaknesses. Mm. So don't rule him out. Um, but to be fair, others seem to have got prepaid airtime from state security, but that's another story. Mm. Um, so as I said, don't rule out Ramaphosa. 
but don't rule out something else that is not obvious at the moment. A battle at a generational level, at an intergenerational level. You see, one of the problems the world is facing at the moment, and that is manifest even in this country and is manifest in the ruling party, is that there are many old people in the world, but there is a, a lack of elders. There's a dearth of elders. And the reason there's so much failure in the world with countries led by old people or people are too old, is the fact that being old on its own is not a problem. So it's not that people are old that is the problem. The problem is that they are not elders and therefore lack the wisdom that we should blend with the energy and innovation and vigor of youth and the intellectual alertness of youth. For me, that is the problem. And I think there's a growing impatience amongst young members of the ANC who are not tainted by succession battles of the past and the current factional dynamic. To them, the time has come for the ANC to become younger in terms of his vision for the future, in terms of the quality of uh, leadership available to it and to the country, and therefore in terms of the logic that hopefully will be the driving logic in the ruling party and the country when young people introduce a different quality to the country and the ANC. But let me end by saying, as interesting as all these intriguing possibilities are, we must not forget that change may not come from what is going on inside the ANC. Absolutely. It may come from the configuration of forces and phenomena outside the ANC. I think that's a perfect place to end. And Gogo, I think in advance of our next conversation, partly because so many people wanted, and I think it's natural, people wanted to hear what's going on now. We need to do some thinking about what comes after the ANC and uh, where we go. And that's, that's the hard work of this, of this moment. There's no doubt about that. But I think many people feel we need to think beyond the current crisis. But now we need to really start having these, these conversations and debates about what happens. How do we replace it? We can't replace the current system with a similar system that looks different but is ultimately the same. So perhaps for our next conversation, um, whenever that might be, we, we can think about fleshing out what needs to replace the ANC, or not necessarily replace the ANC, but what comes after where we are now. I look forward to that. Well, Koko, you've, you've been very generous. Thank you so much for sharing your insights from spiritual to political insights with us. Uh, 
It's been a great honor to have you on the channel once again, and we look forward to our next conversation. Toroza. Thanks so much for watching, fam. Really appreciate you watching. If you haven't watched part one, make sure you check out part one, which dropped a little bit earlier. And send your thoughts and comments here and on social media as well. Hashtag SMWX on Twitter. And look forward to our future content. Aye, aye.